You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Shalom, y'all. Well, I'm glad that we are all here together for our second episode of the podcast because it means that we have passed the great barrier that most podcasts, 99.9% of podcasts, fail at, which is we have gone beyond just talking about making a podcast to recording the first episode to committing to meet again a second time for the second episode. So, listener... Thank you for being here because we have finally gotten to the point where this is a real podcast. It wasn't just a one-time thing. I'm, I'm glad you're here. That's such a great segue to today's episode because it captures the reality that beginnings are not as simple as we would like to think they are. Yay. There's something very important, very crucial about the beginning of the story. And because of that, I think the beginning lines, there's this huge percentage of people uh, who start books that don't get finished, right? Um, but there's something about it. In most stories, the most memorable part of most stories is how they begin. Like sometimes you have an iconic or very memorable first line even. Yeah, I actually, I just pulled up a few opening lines of some famous movies, and I'm going to put you all to the test. Are we going to give out a door prize for this? <laughs> no, man, I, I'm just going to put you to the test. So this here, is like when we played Bible trivia in church and I couldn't win because I was the pastor's son. All right, here's a newer one. Are you watching closely? Okay, I know this. This is my top 10. That's the prestige. Excellent. All right, some low, low-hanging low fruit here for Gandalf. Let's see. The world has changed. I feel it <laughs> in the water. It's Lord of the Rings. Lord. It's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Specifically, the character Gladriel <laughs> speaks in, in, in Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because I have little girls at my house, four of them to be exact, four daughters. Here's one. Slave in the magic mirror. Come from the farthest place. Through the wind and darkness, I summon thee. Speak. Let me see thy face. Anybody? I have a feeling that you didn't even read that. Like, you had that memorized. I have two sons. <laughs> That's Snow White. That's oh, okay. Snow White. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess well, you have sons, and yeah, okay. It's It's been yeah. a minute. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Oh. That's cool. That's cool. Last one, because we're headed to Christmas. I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. It's a wonderful life. I, I would be... I would be disowned and disinherited by my father if I didn't get that. His dog, I mean, my parents are Yorkie people, and the, and the dog already has a larger share of the inheritance than I do. But if I did not get that line, I would be out of it altogether. Oh, my God. But there is, I mean, there is something to that opening line, right? Uh, but, but to me, even with what you set forward, it's one thing if, if it's just the first line of a story. It's a, it's, it's a bigger thing to say this is the first line of the story. Uh, this is not just, you know, some fictional two-hour account to, to uh, you know, entertain you and 
uh, you know, uh, you know, fill that void in your life. This is the story. This is not just the story of something. This is the story of everything. So it's almost like we need an opening line with some bigger scale. Gandalf, it reminds me of the example you gave me that uh, just captured so perfectly what we're after. Oh, yeah. The opening line to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The opening line of that novel is, In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has widely been considered as a bad move. In That's 2020, a, it maybe makes sense, that, right? right uh, uh, it, but, but you, I mean, Matt, you captured it. Uh, that, that line reads very well in a year with a global pandemic, you know, political tension and all that. The opening line shapes your expectation for the story that follows. So in, the, in, Hitcher's, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the universe is created. This makes people angry widely regarded as a bad move so you also see, because we all have skin in the game we're yeah, all in the story uh, uh, whether it's hitchhiker's guide or genesis claim it's talking about our story you know uh, but, c- cons- but before we go any farther let's just to clarify for the listener what is this opening line that we're talking about oh Genis- yeah let's yeah. let's read it in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth I think it's a testament to how prolific these words are that we could just start talking about it. And I guarantee you, almost, if not every single person listening right now knew exactly those first words. Absolutely. Yeah, Matt, Matt, I, I didn't know this till Matt told me Genesis 1-1 is actually the most read verse in the entire Bible. I would have guessed John 3-16. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Since because in John 3-16, if you have not grown up in church, you would have to like know where it is because it's not like in the middle or at the beginning but everyone knows how to get to the beginning of a book yeah and it's interesting though john three sixteen has has an assumption of familiarity with genesis 1 1 in it god so loved the world well which world the one that he created genesis 1 1 oh man but, yeah but i mean but you see this is this is why that uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy quote is so important how you shape the beginning impacts your expectation of how the story will unfold uh, it's it's not it's not a surprise when creation is a bad move to have drama, but when you begin with this God who creates uh, and everything He creates is an extension of who He is. The word that gets used over and over in Genesis one, as we'll talk about next time, is not bad. It's it's the exact opposite. It's good. Right. So here's where I think Genesis one one is different than the Hitchhiker's line. Because in the Hitchhiker's line, in the beginning, the universe was created. This made a lot of people angry and has widely been considered a bad move. It's actually talking about the beginning of the universe. I'm not so sure that Genesis 1-1 is necessarily talking about the beginning of the universe, which kind of gets me into a question I want to ask you, Nathan. Is Uh-oh. is Genesis 1-1—I have an opinion on this, but I want, I want to hear you—is Genesis 1-1— the first act of creation. When I read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, am I hearing, according to the Bible, the first act of creation? Or is it a summary statement introducing the story? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I I definitely think that Genesis 1-1 assumes that God is the sole agent behind creation. You never have anyone creating in scripture other than God. And there's lots of passages that you can go to. But Genesis 1, I tend to read more like you're suggesting, more as this is how the story of all that is began. I read it less as action and more as a summary of action. Uh, and, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is right there in the text. 
if if you read Genesis one as action rather than as summary of action, then it's it's somewhat difficult to make sense of Genesis one two. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was or became formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. So if Genesis one is about God creating, uh, then how do you go from his his character and his creation to something that is formless and empty. But if it's a summary about a God who created, uh, then you can read the rest of the chapter um, as as the means through which that creation was constructed. Uh, so, you, you know, again, you have, uh, you know, the theological term that we're dancing around here is ex nihilo. Did God create from nothing? You have passage after passage in the Bible that either states that outright or assumes it. Uh, while Genesis 1 assumes it, I think the focal point is somewhere else. I think it's more focused on the start of the story. And Matt, we were talking, and this is where your question came from. Uh, I, I'm a New Testament guy, and you have so many books in the New Testament, all four Gospels do it, that use the opening verse to frame the story that you're going to read. So uh, all four Gospels, uh, the book of Acts, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had been given after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. That summary statement impacts your expectation of what you're going to encounter in the verses that follow. And I think that's what we have in Genesis. Talking about how it sets the expectations, it reminds me of the last weekend I went to go see the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back in theaters. And just he hearing the, the original Star Wars opening crawl with the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it just sets the framework because I know with those words that nothing that's happening in Star Wars has any effect in real life. You know, supernatural things can happen. You know, no one's going to go to Earth. This is all complete fantasy. But that's the scandal with 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 Genesis is we're saying maybe it's not all complete fantasy. And just for the listener, uh, in case you're listening to this several years in the future, a movie theater was a place where people used to gather <laughs> and we would watch, we would watch a movie all together sitting very close to each other prior to yes. the pandemic. I do have a theory that movie theaters are going to make it by jacking up the price on popcorn. I think eventually once people will not pay $30 Matt, Matt, for a box of popcorn, we'll, we'll be done. Matt, I, I was about to say, they've been they've been propping themselves up with that strategy since like 1950. <laughs> uh, of, of course. It's just, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Uh, so, uh, so in talking about in the beginning, when you say that, whether you're talking about the beginning of the universe or if you're talking about a story, if it's connected to a real life event, immediately... The question that appears in our minds is, well, when was that? When did that happen? We immediately start thinking timeline. And yeah. what I believe is that this is not the concern of the writer of Genesis, which I, I believe is Moses, but don't, don't get hung up on that. I just don't think Moses cared because that's not what Moses is talking about. I don't think Moses is giving us a timeline because if he did— we would have four score and seven years ago, not in the beginning. We would have something specific, but we don't. We have something generic. So it's not 
meant for us to discover the timeline. Rather, he's trying to communicate something different, which is, you know, a, a framework. And that's what we're going to see. And and Matt, can I engage that? Because when we get sure. hung up, when we get hung up on the question of when, uh, we're already operating in a different realm than the Bible seems to. You don't have you don't have those reflections throughout Scripture on how old the Earth is. We have one verse in Psalm ninety, and it's quoted once in the New Testament that I can think of, uh, that tells us God does not reckon time as we do. You know, to the to the Lord, a thousand years is a day and a day is as a thousand years. But you don't see that, you just don't see that obsession with a timeline, especially on the timeline of origins. But that's a conversation that we tend to force on Scripture. And so you have this broad spectrum of people who think, some who think the earth is 6,000 years old, some who think the earth is 6 billion years old within a you know a universe that's 14 billion years old. And, and there's a pretty substantial margin of error there. And, and people are trying to put Genesis somewhere on that timeline. But what we're saying is, if Genesis 1-1 is about a framework rather than a timeline, then it's possible, even if you are right about the age of the earth, even if you're right about the age of the universe, you still may be wrong on Genesis 1. Right. I, I think so if you're you... exactly right about that, Nathan, because you're talking about reading Genesis as a way to either prop up or refute certain beliefs and that that is my context for my entire early childhood and even as a young adult whenever i was taught genesis it was always within the context of either disproving evolution or propping up young earth or debunking young earth it was always within that framework yeah so uh, ever on on both sides of that issue someone is reading genesis 1:1 to prove someone else wrong and ironically both sides might be missing something about it um, uh, so I, I do think Matt, you've said this, I do think Genesis one, one is controversial, but maybe for a very different reason than we assume. Yes. I know you all, actually all three of us as a private conversation have talked about this extensively, that Genesis one, one is making a controversial claim. There's a word that we're going to come back to over the next few episodes and it's called a polemic, which is basically a, a response, a defensive response to another truth claim. And I believe Moses is actually pushing back on another claim. It's just not the modern issue, though, and we'll get to that in just a second. But he is pushing back against the creation stories of other surrounding cultures. And that was not atheistic materialism. That was not the surrounding culture. So to an ancient reader, ancient readers have no problem with the supernatural. No one in the ancient world would have been scandalized by the fact that they, uh, the world had a supernatural origin, which is a scandalous claim in Western culture, at least, not so much in other cultures in the world, but in our culture where we are here in the 21st century. That's a scandalous claim that the universe had a supernatural origin. But to the ancient people, that is found everywhere. It is found everywhere. It doesn't matter if you go to Mesopotamia, Egypt, Greece, Eastern religions of Asia. It's found everywhere. The universe had a supernatural origin, which is very different. Gandalf, you and I have talked about this. Like when, when we as moderns, what is it that you think of 
when you hear in the beginning, what is the face value of in the beginning to a modern person's mind? Oh, well, when I hear those words as a modern, I'm thinking of things like the Big Bang and red shifting stars and the ever expanding cosmos and things like that. But somehow I just have a little suspicion that that's probably not what they were thinking about. Yeah, it makes me think of an example from a British theologian that I love who's trying to return to what Genesis is dealing with over against some of the discussions into which we appropriate Genesis. And he said, it's like going, and and the, the illustration involves tea because it's Britain. Y'all may drink tea. I'm a coffee guy. But he said, it's like going over to your friend's house and sitting in the den and waiting for your friend to come out because they're in the back room or something. And while you're sitting there, you hear a tea kettle uh, just, just give off that high pitch whistle. He says, how are you going to describe that in your, you know, how are you going to explain that to yourself? Well, there's a finite vessel on top of a heating element on the stove. And as the heating element, uh, you know, transferred energy heat to the finite vessel, it, 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 uh, raised the temperature of the internal contents to the point where they transferred from a liquid state to a gaseous state. Uh, and gaseous particles require more room than liquid ones do, so it put uh, more and more expansive pressure on that finite container until they came bursting out, resulting in this high pitch uh, sound. Or you're going to say, oh, that's great. My friend knew I was coming over, and so he put on a pot of tea. Both of those statements would be true, Neither one of them is tended to be exhaustively true. They're different frames of reference. And that's what we're trying to get at with Genesis. Genesis 1 is absolutely true. Uh, I, I absolutely uphold uh, the truth of Genesis 1. It's not meant to be exhaustively true. It's more the frame of reference of who more than the frame of reference of how, even though there's some how involved in a, in a roundabout way. Um, it, it's, it's, it's concerned with the friend who puts on a pot of tea when he knows that I'm coming over. It's a relational context. And that's just a very different way than we're tempted to read it. It's truth as wisdom rather than truth as science. It's not anti-scientific, but it is pre-scientific. So Matt, you said that just like today, Genesis 1-1 was controversial, but for different reasons to ancient listeners. So my question is, how would an ancient reader consider this to be controversial? Well, let, let me help you with that. So when you look at Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. Now, in our English copy of, you know, Genesis 1-1, we see capital G-O-D. Now, to help us with a little bit of Hebrew here, the word there is Elohim, which Elohim is a Hebrew word that is translated as God, and it also, im, that's a, that's a plural ending. So as it stands alone, Elohim can be translated or should be translated as God's, but it is by context you determine whether the word is plural or singular, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what's interesting is notice the word that is chosen, Elohim. This is not apparent in the English because we just see capital G-O-D and we immediately think about the singular God of Israel because we're already biased towards him, as, you know, as Christian people who believe the Bible. But an ancient person would have just seen it more generally, more generally at, at first glance, because the word Elohim in the Old Testament 
refers not just to Yahweh of Israel, the capital G-O-D. It can be used to refer to angelic beings. Elohim is also used as a word to describe the foreign gods or the other spiritual entities of other nations. And we see this in the story of King Saul when he went to visit the witch in the place of Endor. So Elohim, the word, is used there to describe a departed human spirit. What, what, why am I saying all of this? It's because Elohim is a word at face value that is describing ontology. Now, is everybody familiar with this word? Is that, do I need to? Um, oh, oh, yes. Yes. With my mini PhDs, I am very okay, familiar okay. with the word ontology. Okay. All right. Sorry. Ontology. By the way, it, by the, by the way I, I do want to hold up. A word doesn't have to be big to be complicated. And it doesn't yes. have to be complicated to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated to be big. I, I get accused of using words all the time. And one time I had a five-year-old come up to me and she said, I hear you're pretty smart. What's the biggest word you know? And so I thought about it and I shared the biggest word I knew. And she says, you're not impressive. And then she said, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So <laughs> I, 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 feel like, I feel like that's more straightforward than ontology. But why don't you explain ontology for us? So ontology is what something is. But the way we read Genesis 1-1, Elohim, as capital G-O-D, we read it as who someone is. And generally, Elohim is is a word describing ontology that it's just a, a spiritual being. Now, so why is it translated as capital G-O-D? Well, it, that's actually correct, because the word create or created in the beginning, God created, that is a singular verb. So it's telling us that there is one spiritual being that created. So there's several takeaways here. First is this, is that the visible and material world, the heavens and the earth were created by a spiritual being and Elohim. But that also, because the verb is singular, this was not created by just any spiritual being, but the singular God of Israel. And this is a major contrast to all of the mythologies that are surrounding ancient Israel. This is a direct rebuke that's going towards Egypt and Mesopotamia and Babylon and Greece. This is a direct rebuke to all of those places because it's not claiming that pantheons brought the world into being, but the single God of Israel. So that is completely the opposite of a modern reader because all of my friends and in the circles that I run in are not prepared to take the supernatural as a fact like an ancient reader my friends when they approached about the bible will instantly push back on the existence of the supernatural not even getting to the point to take it at face value they they're more prepared to throw out theories about extra dimensional beings and perhaps et you know extraterrestrials came down and seated life on earth in fact even today i read an article about uh, a nobel physics prize winner who said that you can actually see evidence that there was a previous universe before us, and that's actually what caused the Big Bang to begin with. And none of those people would, or any of those theories, have any room for the supernatural in them. But it's, it's, it's interesting, because to me, Genesis is certainly no more, if I'm listening to this as, as a skeptic, 
Genesis is certainly no more out there, so to speak, than any of the suggestions you just made. No, because it's saying that life has come from another dimension, another reality. And keep in mind that we've already said it. It is not scandalous to the ancient person. This is not even a discussion they would have had. It was just yeah. a question of which God or gods in their case. Yeah. For them, it was not even a fact to affirm because it was such an assumed default, uh, a default assumption, excuse me. But Matt, I think you captured the, the crux of the issue and the way that an ancient reading connects to a modern scenario. It's the question of purpose, right? Um, if, if, if in an ancient context, creation results from many gods, then then you have to ask what exchange or activity or planning or lack thereof among those gods produced what you see and how does that affect the way that things are interacting? Um, in, a, in a modern context, if everything is a, you know, is a, is a process of accident and natural selection following accident or a series of accidents, there's not inherent purpose in that. The way that Genesis confronts both ends of that spectrum is if there's one God who was intentional, who was purposeful behind this, and who had some set of plan or order for all of it, then there is purpose built into the created order, not just in what is, but in how those parts relate within the larger whole. By the way, I was immediately thinking of another movie. We've been on movies this episode. So, I, you know, there. <laughs> some people don't know this. There are actually four chapters, so to speak, four movies of indiana jones so the i don't the, i don't acknowledge the last one <laughs> yeah I, I thought there were only three what are you talking what is the fourth so, indiana jones so my, the, my world the, view the, cannot accommodate the kingdom of the crystal skull okay so to speak on the fourth one the kingdom of the crystal skull of course so the the whole idea of these ancient aliens seeding information and knowledge on the earth and that's what got humanity started in that story of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, even though it's not my favorite in Indiana Jones by a long shot, is the more they connect to their creators, the more they understand who they are and what their purpose is. Mm. So I, I think even for people who are looking for extraterrestrial or interdimensional explanations for the way life and why it works, you're actually not too far removed from dis from the, at least discovering the frame the, of reference, the frame of reference and the chain that connects purpose to the creator that, that you find in the Bible. This, yeah, this is the whole point about beginnings, whether it's, you know, the recent obsession with ancestry, you know, the booming of sites mm -hmm. like ancestry.com. We are convinced we we assume even if we totally disregard genesis we assume that we understand something better about the present if we understand something better about the past and that our beginnings have something to say about where we are now and where we are ultimately going so mm. to ask all of our listeners the most fundamental question any of us can ask whether you believe in a god whether you are faithful follower of Christ, whether you are religious or not, here is one question when you think about beginnings, one question you need to ask yourself, why is there anything at all as opposed to nothing? Because our daily experience lends itself to being real. All of us think our daily experience, for the most part, 
is real. Why are you experiencing what is real? And your answer, the way you answer this question will be the chain that connects you to your purpose for life. And Matt, can I just link, can I link off that word purpose? Sure. I, I think of, again, since we keep going to movies, all of the superhero movies that have come out in recent years, you know, whether it's DC, Marvel, I'm not engaging that battle in this space, but it's like you cannot develop the hero story without having the origin story, the identity, right? You, you have to give an account for, uh, you have to do the same thing for villains too, by the way, but you have to give an account of where they come from to have some expectation and buy-in for where they're going. Uh, and, and we watch these movies with such interest because we are driven by that sense of purpose. And so Matt, just to springboard off your question, why is there anything at all as opposed to nothing? Whether you're a person of deep belief or if you're you know, an outright skeptic, why is it that we have just this deeply embedded struggle for purpose within us? Is that something that is completely socially constructed or is that, is that innate longing within us a testament to something that came before us and something uh, that we pursue as our ultimate end? I think that's it, man. That's well, well put. All right, guys. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm getting pretty hungry. So before we wrap up, I'm going to make sure we got this right. I'm going to try and restate what we've just talked about. All right, number one, Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of the story of the Bible. It's not a propositional claim on the first page of a modern book of the universe. It's a beginning of how God wants to tell a story. Number two, as far as Genesis 1 is concerned, the when of the beginning is not the main point, but rather it's the who. And we're going to get farther along into the podcast. We will get into the importance of how. Three, Genesis 1-1 tells us that the spiritual brought the material into being. It wasn't that the natural created the natural or the natural beget the natural, but rather an outside force began the entire cycle. And finally, number four, because the universe has a spiritual source for its origin, its intrinsic value and purpose flow primarily not from what the universe is, but who made the universe. Do I got that right, guys? That's it. Listeners, join us next time as we explore this God who is behind creation. We get to know who he is better through what he has made, and we see how that plays out through how he goes about making things in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 following. Good stuff. Right. See you next time. See you later, guys. Shalom. You've been listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. If you like what you have just heard, be sure to leave positive feedback, like a like or a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening. If you have questions about what you've heard today, be sure to contact us at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com.